0: This is A Diet of Brussels. Today we're going to talk about Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol. For those of you who haven't been following uh, this particular issue, this is basically a uh, safeguarding mechanism that was included in the Protocol on Islands in the Withdrawal Agreement, uh, which basically is a a mechanism to deal with unforeseen problems. Um, so the language for this comes from uh, the European Economic Area Treaty, the EEA, which the EU signed with uh, Liechtenstein, Norway and Iceland back in the mid-90s. And in some senses, it's a fairly uh standard kind of provision. Basically, it's saying, you know, if something happens that we hadn't really uh, anticipated, uh, you can put in place uh, what are called safeguarding measures. And uh, these aren't particularly defined because, again, partly depends on the nature of the problem. Uh, And so, you know, as a temporary uh, measure, you can uh, make sure the uh, the Treaty that you've agreed can continue to uh, function as much as possible, and also that you're working towards trying to deal with that. Now, at the time, the inclusion of Article 16 uh, in the withdrawal agreement wasn't really a focus of much discussion. Um, It was there uh, as something that uh, was just kind of seen as a, a contingency but uh, there wasn't any great sense that this was uh, a live letter in proceedings. However, since uh, the beginning of last year when the treaty came into force, uh, even arguably before, uh, there was a uh, discussion or a stream of discussion in the UK which said that this was a uh, very important provision uh, because the protocol didn't work and indeed couldn't work, and so one of the light motifs of uh, the past year and a half has been uh, mention of Article 16 by the UK uh, government ministers from uh, Boris Johnson and David Frost down to uh, suggest that uh, the uh, difficulties of uh, the implementation of the Protocol meant that we should be keeping in mind the option uh, of safeguarding measures that Article 16 allows for. Ironically, uh, given that we think about this mainly in the context of the UK, we had to remember that Article 16 was momentarily, and I do mean momentarily, we're talking a matter of hours, uh, invoked by the EU when it came to uh, the distribution of uh, Covid uh, vaccines. A draft of a decision uh, was produced which mentioned that Article 16 was going to be invoked. Uh, this was uh, almost immediately turned around by the EU um, and the Commission. Uh, but again, merely just reinforced the point that A, uh, this was something that perhaps wasn't been quite as fully internalised by Uh, the EU, as they had thought it was, but also that it was a procedure that was there and could be used. And certainly the UK has uh, beaten the Commission over the head with that invocation uh, frequently uh, ever since. But what we want to try and do here is not so much run through the procedure uh, per se, because there are lots of good guides out there, but more just think about whether it is actually the solution to the problem that the UK thinks that it faces. So in this uh, episode I want to talk a little bit about uh, why you might invoke Article 16 and why it might, or indeed might not, as the case may be, help you in your bigger project, in your bigger course. So let's start with the purpose of triggering Article 16. Now, the article itself specifies what must be the the, the test. So it says, if the application of this protocol leads to serious economic, societal or environmental difficulties that are liable to persist or to diversion of trade, the Union or the UK may unilaterally take appropriate safeguard measures. That seems pretty clear, except of course it doesn't. Uh, It doesn't specify what the uh, level of difficulties economic, societal or environmental might be. It doesn't specify whether the diversion of trade is uh, any diversion of trade anywhere, or if it's uh, specifically between Northern Ireland and the EU, or between Northern Ireland and the rest of the Great uh, of the UK, uh, all of these things are actually very uh, open, um, and it has been noted, us where this leads a very low threshold for invoking uh, uh, these, and uh, essentially you're trusting everyone not to uh, misuse the provisions, which, as we might reflect upon in political terms might be a little bit of a pun at this stage. In addition, it's not clear what appropriate safeguard measures actually means. Uh, so again, it's a lot of con- uh, discretion. It simply says that they should be uh, restricted in their scope and duration to what is strictly necessary to remedy the situation. Priority should be given to such measures as will least disturb the functioning of the protocol. So. It's here that uh, uh, we might recognise that there is a degree of proportionality. uh, You should only do what you have to do uh, and only for so long as uh, is the case. So again, to come back to the starting point, Article 16 is not a permanent mechanism. It's not about saying we don't like the provisions here. We're just not going to uh, apply all of them or we're going to uh, implement some uh, measures uh, for forever and a day because uh, that's the way we want it to be. Instead it's saying appropriate measures, strictly necessary, minimal disturbance. And uh, it also provides for uh, appropriate rebalancing uh, measures by the other party. So if one person does uh, safeguarding, the other side are allowed to take some actions within the same kind of constraints. In essence, the UK has arguably only two reasons to invoke uh, Article 16 and safeguarding. Beyond these uh, grounds. So, you know, they're going to have to. We're talking here about logics rather than about the justifications. The justifications will have to conform with that wording that we've talked about about serious economic, societal, or environmental difficulties that are liable to persist or diversion of trade. Those are the, those are the grounds that must be claimed for it. But let's think about the purpose of it. The first purpose is one of trying to reduce pressure on Northern Ireland. As you'll recall, the protocol is designed to keep Northern Ireland closely aligned with many areas of EU regulation in terms of trade so that you can keep an open border between uh, North and South. And the trade-off of that is that the uh, UK accepts that there will be checks between East and West, so between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, uh, which allow the EU's uh, internal market to continue to function in a way that means that uh, North-South uh, trade uh, and uh, passenger persons can proceed unhindered. And that's not simply about the EU's uh, internal market. It's actually much more about the provisions of the Good Friday agreements. So trying to place Northern Ireland in a p- position where it has uh, a very open uh, situation with the Republic uh, and with the rest of the UK. Now, in all of this, clearly there have been compromises uh, and problems, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But in creating the protocol, it's clear that there has been uh, disruption to certainly east-west trade, that uh, supplies of goods from the UK, rest of the UK, into Northern Ireland uh, have had to go through more checks, uh, more delays, uh, more uncertainty that goes on. And similarly, uh, Northern Ireland has found that trying to export Uh, into uh, the EU might well have stayed the same but trying to send goods back into the UK or into the UK has come with a whole load of problems and for keen horticulturalists uh, amongst you uh, seeds and uh, uh, baby plants have been uh, one area where that's been a real problem because they fall under uh, sanitary and phytosanitary SPS uh, standards which means that uh, it's been uh, un- impossible to uh, make that commercially viable anymore. So, Northern Ireland has had a disruption to trade, it's had some uh, economic difficulties and those are liable to persist, uh, so you can say there's some grounds there. But what can the UK do under Article 16? Well, as we said, uh, it's uh, got to do as little as possible uh, for as short as possible time in order to try and remedy the situation. Um, but uh, let's think about this in the kind of a, a maximalist kind of way. The most that the UK could do is say that it won't apply the provisions uh, of the protocol within Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Because that's the limit. It can't make the EU uh, not apply the protocol. Uh, It can only control its own territory and the people within it. Now that means that uh, whilst you can eradicate an east-west border, because uh, if you're saying that there's no difference between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, then fine, uh, things can go back to how they were then certainly that is a relief. But in relieving that east-west traffic you set up a problem of north-south trade. So uh, at one level that's uh, potentially creating an opportunity for uh, the EU to say well we have to impose checks now um, because uh, the protocol isn't in operation and therefore Northern Ireland is no longer uh, effectively within our territory, so therefore we've got to check goods as they enter the EU single market. Now, the UK might say, well, remember your Good Friday Agreement uh, obligations, which you said were really important uh, about creating an open border between North and South. The EU might well say, OK, well, we acknowledge that. Um, but at the same time, we also have other obligations that require us to uh, impose restrictions. So I think the EU would find that there would be a very difficult situation. Uh, most obviously Ireland, uh, the Irish government might well uh, say that they want to uh, avoid imposing checks uh, because uh, that would be detrimental to the uh, peace settlement uh, and relations in general. But for the EU, uh, even if they don't impose checks uh, per se at the border, certainly one of the things that would become an issue is that anything produced in Northern Ireland would no longer be verifiably compliant with EU standards. So all of that content of the protocol, which is about aligning Northern Ireland with EU standards and regulations, which is there to avoid the need for checks uh, and controls, uh, for goods moving from Northern Ireland to uh, the EU no longer would be in effect because the UK would have said well we're not applying that anymore. So even if in practice the UK still were to be applying that because it hadn't actually got rounds to uh, changing any rules or regulations, there wouldn't be a legal framework in place which would allow the EU to be confident that there was that application. So absent that, the EU would be within its rights to say that the goods coming from Northern Ireland no longer are compliant or demonstrably compliant with EU standards. So at the most prosaic level, that's things like health and safety, uh, which uh, then would be grounds for removing those goods from the market or from banning them from entering. So one way or another, whilst... uh, East-West trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain might uh, see a return to uh, what I'm going to do, air quotes, as normality. Uh, That would be uh, at least offset, if not more than offset, by uh, the disruption to North-South trade between Northern Ireland and uh, the EU. And that's a very significant part of the EU, of Northern Ireland's economic infrastructure. The success of the Good Friday Agreement in promoting economic interdependence uh, between North and South has been very marked. Even in the short time that the protocol's been in operation, we've seen a diversion of trade, remember that from uh, grounds for invoking Article 16, from East West trade to North South trade because it has been uh, less problematic uh, to go. So the first reason for invoking Article 16, reducing pressure on Northern Ireland, is never going to be unambiguously clear. It would be, I think, at most a swapping of one set of problems for another set of problems. Which takes us then to the second reason why the UK might want to invoke Article 16. And this, I think, has been very clear throughout it. Namely, trying to increase pressure on the EU to renegotiate the protocol. I surprise no one, I hope, by saying that the UK doesn't like, or the UK government doesn't like the protocol. It doesn't like the imposition of east-west checks. It doesn't like the application of substantial uh, portions of EU law within Northern Ireland. It doesn't like the uh, system that has been set up and it would very much like to replace it with something that allows for, what's the term we're looking for, frictionless trade, there we go, Uh, east-west, north-south, up-down, left-right, all the way around. Why can't we all just uh, avoid these silly checks and go on? Now, That's uh, perhaps a topic for another podcast, but... uh, It's evident that the UK, uh, as embodied uh, in the position of Lord Frost, has been that renegotiation is a priority and an urgent one at that. And this is in part because the protocol itself is insufferable and therefore uh, Article 16 is a way to uh, move that along. So if we think about the protocol, Uh, we've got some very limited options of what we can do. We can either uh, renegotiate it directly, and we're allowed to do that. Uh, We can uh, invoke Article 16, which allows for those temporary safeguards. We can uh, create a new agreement that replaces all or part of the protocol, which is also provided for specifically uh, within the protocol. Or we can... uh, try to uh, annul uh, the uh, application of the protocol and with it the rest of the withdrawal agreement. Now uh, the annulment process is a non-starter, the, none of the grounds of force majeure or coercion or fundamental change, change in circumstances apply, so we haven't got that option. Renegotiation has been argued by the UK for a long time. And that uh, requires the EU to agree, which it hasn't wanted to. So it neither wants to renegotiate, nor does it want to uh, get into a discussion about something that replaces it, uh, which uh, would overwrite what there is, which really only leaves Article 16 as something that is within the UK's unilateral control, at least initially, because uh, it does come with uh, review uh, and dispute settlement mechanisms attached, but uh, it would perhaps, in the UK's thinking, force the EU to get out of its rut and start actually seriously engaging with the issues. Now this is a uh, point that uh, is worth exploring. It would address the shortcomings of the uh imperfect uh, alleviation of pressure on Northern Ireland, which was what we talked about as the first ground. And it would potentially provide for a more general uh, improvements in relations, that if the UK could just get what it wants, which is uh, a better deal, then uh, it wouldn't be quite so stroppy uh, and everyone would be happy and we could move on. Sounds good, doesn't it? The problem, if you hadn't already spotted it, is that this is not exactly a new issue. Remember that Northern Ireland has been the central issue in the Brexit process since, well, certainly since 2017 and arguably ever since the referendum. At the time of the vote there was a lot of talk about the importance of money or about the situation of citizens uh, of each uh, party living in the other's territory but actually very quickly it was northern ireland that was the uh, focus of attention so if you think back to the halcyon days of article 50 negotiations around the withdrawal agreement all of the big landmark events that you have read and heard and potentially contributed to have been about Northern Ireland. We think about the joint report in 2017 and the DUP pushing back on uh, the language that there was. We think about the Chequers deal, we think about alternative arrangements or maximum facilitation or the stuff with drones and uh, blockchain that was going to obviate the need for any kind of border controls. We might think about pretty much any s- significant step in that process, from Theresa May's uh, backstop to Boris Johnson's walk in the park with Leo Varadkar, which produced the front stops that we've uh, adopted. All of that has been about Northern Ireland thousands and thousands of person hours have been expended on precisely the issue of how to deal with Northern Ireland's particular situation within the UK, within the Good Friday Agreement, and in relation to the EU. Now the point here is not that the protocol is a good outcome. Nobody is particularly happy with the model of the protocol. And the reason for that is that it comes with costs. It comes with costs to the way that the Good Friday Agreement works. It comes with costs to North-South relations, East-West relations, relations between Dublin and London. All of these things are negatively affected by the model that is chosen in the protocol. And again, I leave it to others to unpack all the reasons uh, why that might be. What is important to take, though, is that the protocol might not be good, but it is less bad than any of the other alternatives that have been advanced. And that really is the crux of the matter. Uh, negotiation theory tells us that you should go for the least worst option. And your options are either not to agree anything or to agree something. And in this case, not agreeing anything between uh, between the UK and the EU in Article 50, in that withdrawal agreement about Northern Ireland, would not have been acceptable. It would have come with impossible uh, requirements on both sides. It would have rendered the Good Friday agreement basically uh, uh, inoperable, fundamentally. So, there needed to be an agreement. Of the many, many models that were advanced at many, many points over the time of the negotiations, and indeed since, there hasn't been a model which looks more acceptable to the two sides, and remember it's got to be acceptable to both sides, than the model that is currently in place. So, more prosaically, yes you could find a model that is different to the current one here, one that works better for the UK, but it will work less well for the EU to the extent that the EU doesn't want to go down that road. Now that was true in 2019 when we had the discussion of uh, the uh, backstop. Ironically, uh, the EU's uh, position probably was uh, reinforced by uh, the elevation of Boris Johnson to Prime Minister, who made it very clear uh, push to change the protocol and ended up with something that he could sell back at home and um, which was acceptable to the EU. So, moving the settlement of the terms of the protocol one way or the other is going to cause more problems than it solves. And this is one of the key reasons why the EU doesn't want to renegotiate the protocol. Now, Introducing safeguard measures under Article 16 doesn't change that fundamental fact. If anything, it probably makes the EU less likely to renegotiate because uh, it will demonstrate uh, in the EU's eyes a lack of good faith engagement by the UK, And one of the real problems that the UK has is that the EU doesn't think that it is a good-faith actor. So why would we talk about uh, setting up a new arrangement when the UK appears not to have tried its hardest to make the current arrangements work? And again, I'll make the point that whatever settlement you have for Northern Ireland, it will not be uh, a cost-free exercise. It's rather about who's going to carry the costs. Everyone's got costs. Uh, and that's going to be a real problem. Moreover, I think if we go down a route of using Article 16 to try and force renegotiation, we have to remember that there's a wider context which looks pretty atrocious for the UK. The EU will resume the legal challenges that it had parked uh, over the summer, which potentially come with various liabilities, there's cross-linkage between the Withdrawal Agreement and the Trade and Cooperation Agreement uh, that was signed uh, at the very end of 2020, which uh, regulates the wider relationship between the UK and the EU, which means that the EU potentially could impose very significant uh, sanctions on uh, UK-EU trade as a whole. There's the whole U.S. dimension with the Biden administration making consistent signals that it expects the Good Friday Agreement to be respected and implemented by all sides, And it sees the protocol as the vehicle for doing that with all the caveats that we talked about. So the U.K. at best would be making an, a, a punt that the pressure of applying Article 16 would force the EU to the negotiating table, which rather disregards the relatively strong position that the EU has to hurt the UK in other areas of the relationship, that there will be the negative impact, which we would expect to be significant of the transatlantic relationship, and all of the wider issues that would come from that, not to mention the potential economic disruption that Northern Ireland would suffer in the interim, that the profound uncertainty about what was and wasn't happening with the protocol uh, and its operation would make uh, much uh, trade into and out of Northern Ireland are problematic at best and uh, uh, impossible at worst. So if we try and wrap this up then, Article 16 looks attractive to the UK. It's one of the very few things that the UK can do by itself, uh, at least at the start, uh, without having to wait on the EU's say-so. Yes, very quickly, uh, Article 16 provides for the other party, so in this case the EU, to take rebalancing measures, to start reviews, to start dispute settlement mechanisms, all of those things. Fine, but at least it gives some agency to the UK government to say, we're taking a bold step. The problem is that that step doesn't lead to unambiguously clear benefits uh, and improvements in the UK situation or Northern Ireland situation. So in terms of improving the pressure on Northern Ireland, we've talked about the problems that are there. In terms of getting the EU to renegotiate the protocol, again, uh, that looks highly dubious uh, and uh, problematic. All of which potentially explains why Article 16 hasn't yet been triggered, but doesn't explain why now the mood seems to be that some kind of uh, invocation of it Uh, looks more likely than it did uh, even a month ago. Whether that's about a misjudgment on the part of London about the EU's position, or whether it's uh, empty rhetoric that comes from uh, a more objective appreciation of the situation, only time will tell. However, as always it's always good to read the text of what you've signed up to. Sure, we'll come back to this uh, in the future. But until then, thanks for listening and talk again soon.